Morning, everyone. You all right? It's good to see you. I know it's one of those um, mornings you'd love to be cozied up by the fire. Um, but we're going to talk about the fire, so hopefully um, <clears throat> hopefully that will help a wee bit. Um, but thanks for being here this morning. It's great to worship. It is very exciting about the building. It's coming together. Um, lots of progress this week with the painting. Does anybody, this is, I keep thinking of, does anybody remember, I'm giving away my age here, um, Challenge Annika? Remember that program? Do you remember she used to like be running about in her jumpsuit, getting out of like helicopters and things? Do you remember that? That's what I keep thinking about when I'm thinking about getting this building ready for the opening. It's like you know, trying to work morning, noon, and night to, to get it over the line. But um, it's good. It's good fun, and God's uh, really moving. Um, we're we're continuing our presence um, people series. Um, we really do, as, as Sharon has already alluded to, feel like the Lord is moving amongst us, um, imprinting on our hearts just the whole principle of the presence of God, um, which has been you know, part of our, her- our heritage, our inheritance, part of our birthright, I think, as a church, has been um, being people that understand the principle of the presence of God and following that. And I guess what we've been talking about is how do we become um, pilgrims of the heart in this particular season of our church journey together, people marked by the beautiful burning presence of God. Um, last week we moved to look at this particular question of why we've looked at that uh, in, a, in a kind of individual sense and tried to encourage us as individuals to do that. What does it begin to look like to be a community that is marked by the presence of God, that stewards the presence of God? And so we've been asked this question last week and this week, what does it really look like to be a church who hosts the presence of God? Um, and what I tried to do last week was seed our imagination for what that might look like by talking a little bit about a community in the 1700s called the Moravians um, who um, made an incredible impact of on the world there. This was a picture of when I visited them, um, not, yeah, visited the place where they, uh, their community was birthed in the little church where the Holy Spirit fell in the, the 1700s. Um, a group of very ordinary people, maybe three to 500, who they reckon were the pioneers of the modern day mission movement, impacted so many significant other leaders who led other denominations, people like William Carey, people like John Wesley, all massively impacted by the Moravians led by the inspirational Zinzendorf, um, a young man who gave land for them to pray on and to seek the Lord on, and wonderful things happened. And I guess uh, I've always found that story particularly inspirational. And as I think about our church, which is hopefully in the days ahead going to grow to somewhere around that number, it becomes something that even though when we hear the stories of what the Moravians did, when we think that they were a community of three to 500 people and the impact that they had on the world was colossal, we're still living in the legacy of that. I think it helps us to think about what God could do for us and inspires us to be a people marked by the presence of God, but not hunkered down, cloistered away in our own little Christian club, but in a way that really impacts the world around us. That's what the Moravians did. And I I think that is the story throughout history, Uh, a community of people who are uh, marked by the presence of God and steward the presence of God to the earth. Um, So that that was the idea of Eden. Adam and Eve would come together and they would be fruitful and multiply. They would be centered around the presence of God, which was the tree of life, the source, the hot spot, if you like, of God's presence on the earth. And somehow they were uh, mandated to carry his presence to the ends of the earth. We see this in the children of Israel. 
that God, as we looked at to, uh, in the summertime on the theme of the tabernacle, God wanted to dwell amongst his people, give them a structure in which to dwell around, but didn't want everything to stay just around that place, wanted that to move into the ends of the earth. The children of Israel were called to be blessed in order that they might be a blessing to the world. And then we jump into the early church and we see a people devoted to Jesus, filled with God's own personal presence, centered around his presence and devotion, which we're going to get into this morning, but living as living temples, filled with the Spirit to impact the world around him. And uh, in each of those kind of examples, the sense of God's presence amongst his people wasn't to be contained in a meeting but, or, or even a prayer room, but it was the principle of being in continual fellowship with God by the Spirit, by enjoying this deep, beautiful relationship to God who wants to live and move and have his being in your body. The God who in Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. It's a metaphor of this continual remaining and abiding and everything that we are flows from his presence, but in a way that bears fruit that other people can taste. And, and so I guess what I threw out last week to the church, throughout sounds very um, facetious, but I put, put out there this vision that what we long for is a body. It's part of our 2030 vision. Can we do that? Can we do it before 2030? <laughs> Can we see uh, a space, a place created here in Portadown where night and day prayer happens, a place of continual prayer where the presence of God is stewarded and hosted by a community of people? What age will your kids be in 2030? What age will your grandkids be? Wouldn't it be amazing to have a place in this town where people come to because there has been a people that have been so dedicated to the Lord that they've wanted to create a space where the presence of God is stewarded so people can come in and be undone by his presence, where people can engage with the manifest presence of God over a whole area. I give some examples last week of times in revival history where almost a zone becomes known as God's manifest presence. It actually happens in particular parts of the world today. In South America, in some of the stadiums, when they come together and they worship Jesus and they seek his presence, there's stories of people going past those big football sports stadiums and coming under the anointing of the Spirit and being convicted of their sin and coming to the Lord because something has happened in the atmosphere because a people have been so dedicated to the Lord and consecrated on to his purposes that the Spirit comes. And this morning, what I want to do is try and remind us that this vision that the Bible sets out has a particular precedent in the book of Acts that helps us to understand how I think what God is calling us to build here um, finds, yeah, finds biblical foundations. And I think the book of Acts wants to promote to us, Luke who wrote it is trying to promote this, that this is actually what normative Christianity should look like. So they didn't use the word revival in the New Testament because they didn't need to. 
Yeah, because they were, they were living in that space. This was to be normative Christianity, um, a holy fire of passionate devotion to God amongst the early believers. The Spirit came and baptized them in his fire and love. And then as we go through the book of Acts, um, what we see is not only that the fire is burning, but, and this is really key for this morning, I think it might be on the, on the screen, that both not just a fire, but also a form that... Um, we see in the book of Acts to sustain the fire um, over years and centuries. So, um, could you pass me my phone in a sec? Just, sorry. Don't worry, I'm not going on Facebook. It's just I don't wear a watch and I want to see my time. All right. Um, we uh, did a renovation there a year or two ago in the house. My favorite part of it is my fire. I'm um, becoming a middle-aged man, for sure. Well, I, I am. But I'm really excited about my fire, right? I actually partly couldn't wait to the winter to get light in it, right? Because we just got it last year, and we only got a wee bit of the winter out of it. And um, I, I love this stove. And, um, yeah, but I've had to play about with it. There's a couple of different air vents in it and all of that to try and get the fire just purring, you know, just... Anyway... So that's what gets me through my weeks. Look forward to the weekend, you know, just try and get this fire going. And I guess, in a funny kind of way, what I'm trying to say is there is a fire in our house, but there is actually a particular form to just keeping it fanned, to keeping it hot, to making sure it doesn't go out. It costs a little bit. I have to put my slippers on and go outside in the cold into the garage because Rachel doesn't allow sticks to sit on the hearth, right? So <laughs> I have to go out and get the sticks. It costs me something, you know, um, in order to make sure that this fire is hot. And I guess when the, when, the, when, the, um, when the Holy Spirit lit and ignited the church with the fire of God, um, there was a form to it. And over the years, over the centuries, the fire has waned. The, the people of God have got complacent and compromised, disobeyed, rebelled. It's kind of the story of humanity. But in revival history, what we see is these communities like the Moravians or Azusa Street at the start of the 20th century or others that I could name, the Hebrides in the 1940s, 50s. These are times when we see that fire fanned again into flame. And a community devotes itself to seeking after the Lord and the fire begins to burn again. And, um, and we see in the book of Acts, I think, some pointers and helps to help us think this through. So let me, let me try and go through this for you this morning and give you some biblical foundation for what I want to encourage and challenge us towards this morning. In the book of Acts, what we see, just to, to remind you, if you don't already know, a community that are marked by an ongoing presence culture. So it's not just one great meeting, is what I'm saying. It's not just one great Holy Spirit kind of falling on a meeting and that's it. We see an on, a people desiring the presence of God in an ongoing way. A community who waited in God. A community, though not cloistered away, just having their own big worship meeting but a community that are marked by the presence in such a way that they carry it into the world around them. Let's read some verses on the screen for how this was formed. Okay, so Luke chapter 24, verse 49, the last words of Jesus, or some of the last words of Jesus before he went back to heaven. And he said this, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, 
but tarry you, I'm going for the old King James here because I love the word tarry, okay? But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. This was a community who understood what it was to wait upon the Lord, to not rush to action for action's sake, but to make sure everything that they did was anointed, inspired, and empowered by the Holy Spirit. They knew how to tarry. They knew they needed more than just showing up to the meeting. They knew they needed more than the formalities of religion. They knew they needed the power and the presence of the living God, which Jesus had displayed for them in his own life. And so even though they didn't fully know what that was going to mean, they waited on it, and they waited for the Spirit to come. They tarried, they lingered in God. And God was faithful to his promise. Let's look what happened, Acts chapter 2. These are well-known words. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit had enabled them. So the fire of God and the, and the power of the Holy Spirit came upon them, tongues as of fire resting upon them, but it set their hearts burning with love for Jesus. And they began preaching the gospel and lots of people came to the Lord. What I want you to see here though in this passage, it's not just a bunch of kind of random individuals getting filled with the Spirit. What we see is a whole church family, a community becoming one in Jesus and being formed deep in his love in order to be guardians together as a whole family of this flame that was burning. Remember this quote I used last week from Jonathan Sachs, and he said, religion is like a fire. It warns, it warms, sorry, but it also burns, and we are guardians of the flame. And so the early church in the book of Acts, they realized that God had lit something amongst them that was a God himself is a consuming fire of love and he'd come upon them by the power of the Holy Spirit and he lit something in their midst that was part of who they were and they knew that as a community as a family they were guardians together of a flame that was going to spread throughout the world and change the world and, and so what I want you to start what I want to start to get to this morning is for us to understand that it just didn't happen there was intentionality behind being a guardian of this flame. It wasn't just fire. There was a form that was needed to be committed to in order for that flame to be sustained. Is that making sense? Yeah? So a fire and a, a form. And look, at, look, we jump down Acts chapter 2, and um, it'll tell you, I think the first, I think the first um, few lines, the first sentence of this, is, is not on the screen, which is a shame because it's the main word, right? It says, before it gets to teaching, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So if you can imagine, it says at the top of that, on the left, not on the screen, they devoted themselves, devoted, 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 right? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet in the temple courts. And they broke bread in their homes. And they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. 
Now, I, we've read this passage, I don't know how many times since we've started our church. It's where we go back to all the time because this is the, what the first church looked like. I guess what I want you to look at this morning and notice is there was a particular form to how they operated. They met every day in temples. So the gathering place, they came to church. They met in homes. And then they had certain practices that were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to prayer. And when it says prayer, that was probably the set prayers of their Judaism kind of upbringing that would have been through the day. And then they were committed to the uh, breaking of bread and to being in one another's lives, fellowship. So what I'm trying to say is if you look closely at this, that the fire of God that was spreading from the day of Pentecost was sustained by people, a community and a church family, a kingdom family that were committed to a form in order for that fire to continue. And... Um, I have to tend to my fire if I want to stay warm in my house. I have to, but have to get some kind of form or intention. I would love to be able to just light the fire, put my feet up, and that's it for the night. Somebody says you should have got a gas fire. But I wanted the real deed, right? And Because uh, I grew up around a real fire. And then for 10 years, we lived in a house and we, didn't, we had a gas fire. And gas fires are brilliant. I like them too. I might get one for a different room someday. But I wanted a fire. I wanted the real deal. And, and, but I can't just, it just doesn't burn on its own. I have to do some stuff for the fire to keep on burning. And as we look at the book of Acts, we see as the fire begins to spread into new cultures and new contexts, the people uh, continued to create forms under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to keep it burning. A church orientated around the presence, throwing themselves constantly back on the altar of God, coming back into his presence, seeking the Lord continually in order to impact the world around them. It was as if there was a, a, a kind of magnetism around the presence of God that drew other people into it. Theologian Christopher Wright, he says as he talks about a kind of missional magnetism of the early church, and I love this idea. Because what, what, it, what it gets at, and I'll read it in a moment, is not that it's just a bunch of... What I, what I don't want this talk to seem like is me talking about creating a prayer culture where just a bunch of Christians go to just have their own self-indulgent worship session. What we're talking about here is recognizing that the heart of the Father burns for his people in such a way that through them it will burn for the world. And as we come into fellowship with him, something happens where in the whole sphere of influence, others are affected by that manifest sense of God's presence that it comes amongst us. Otherwise, we're just resorting to our own programs and our own strategies, which will do nothing without God's presence. And he says, this missional magnetism, he describes it as this, part of the mission of God's people is to have God so much at the center of who they are and what they do that there is a centripetal force that means pulling people into the center. God's own gravitational pull that draws people into the sphere of his blessing. That's what I think we want to do. We want to create a place where God is at the center so much that by the Holy Spirit orchestrating things almost beyond what we could ever imagine, people who have come to our country, who have nowhere to go, nowhere to eat, no, somehow they get by God's gravitational pull with the people who have been so caught by his heart that they'll seek it, that God's Spirit draws them in to the sphere of blessing that is happening amongst us. That's what we're talking about here. 
But we need a fire. We need the Holy Spirit here, first and foremost. And then we need a form to sustain it. We could say it like this to change our metaphors. New wine was poured out in, at Pentecost, but it needed a wine skin that was robust and flexible enough to steward that wine so it didn't get destroyed. And the key word in all of this, what I'm trying to say this morning, the early church found this because they were devoted. This is the key word for this morning. They were a devoted people. And devotion expresses itself in a form. People that are devoted to something, it looks like it in sport, in the workplace. If somebody's devoted, you just, you know, it, it proves itself over time. You don't just say they're devoted because they talk a good game. It's because they're the first one in maybe and the last one out or they're committed to practicing or disciplining themselves to train or whatever it might be in whatever sphere of influence that you can imagine. Devoted people look like something in their actions. And the early church were, were devoted. And we see this in the ways that I described earlier. And this is in revival history. The, the communities that... Um, helped guard the flame and fan it back into play. They were devoted. The Moravians were devoted. They had a prayer meeting that lasted for 100 years. That meant people, men and women, boys and girls, getting up in the middle of the night through the day, committing themselves to hours of prayer in order that they might keep the fire burning. John Wesley and the Methodists, the reason that they're called Methodists was because when those early Methodists, before they were called Methodists, were lit with the fire of God, they looked for a method in order to guard the flame. And so they had small groups and commitment to times of prayer. It's actually not rocket science, by the way. It was just intention. And they became, the genius of what they created was not just that they had a great meeting, but they found ways to commit themselves and be devoted so that they could sustain the fire. And this whole principle of devotion opens us up. I just want to take 10 or 15 minutes, and then we're going to pray as we close this off this morning. Because devotion opens us up into a window of a principle that runs throughout Scripture that I think is one of the most undertaught and underappreciated and misunderstood things in the Bible. And devotion opens us up to this idea that we are called, as God's people, to minister onto His heart. There is, a, there is a principle, there is a ministry for the people of God, which is called ministering unto the Lord. Now, most of us come to church and we want to worship God a lot and we know that God is probably pleased in that, but I don't think that we fully grasp what it actually does to God's heart to minister unto his heart, to minister unto the Lord. Um, we want God to minister unto us and he does and loves to and will, but we as God's people are called to minister unto his heart to come and pour out towards him our love and affection. And I think this morning that the Holy Spirit wants us to grasp just how much God is moved by that and touched by that and how it is actually our original calling. It brings us back, when we think about this, to the very beginning when God created us humankind for perpetual, continual fellowship with him. Not, not in some kind of boring, meeting, formal kind of way, but in this deep sense of feeling alive because we're in connection constantly with the one who created us in his very image. And this God who is a consuming fire of love has always wanted to burn in our hearts with the love that he has for us. So the same love that he burns with for us, he wants us to burn with for him. His relationship at the very heart. And so in the Old Testament, we see lots of 
fire. We see fire in the burning bush with Moses. We see fire coming down upon Mount Sinai. And then when they create the tabernacle, which we looked at at the summer, there was fire on the brazen altar. And the form, if you like, for that fire in the Old Testament was, was the tabernacle. That was, that was our study earlier on this year. And in the tabernacle, I think it was Trevor who maybe spoke on it, there was a brazen altar on the way in towards the Holy of Holies. This was one of the items of furniture. And it tells us in Leviticus that there was a fire on the brazen altar. And this is what it says about it. Let's look Leviticus chapter 6, verse 12. It's on the screen. The fire on the altar must be kept burning. It must not go out. Every morning, the priest is to add firewood and arrange the burnt offering on the fire and burn the fat of the fellowship offerings on it. The fire must be kept burning on the altar continuously. It must not go out. By the way, this was the verse that the Moravians held for those 100 years at the center of their community. That was the verse that inspired them. Don't let the fire go out. Just keep it burning. Now, can you notice here that there's both fire and there is form? There's obviously a fire. It's what it's all about. But there's a wee priest who has to go out every day, get the firewood, bring it in, prepare the sacrifice, make sure morning and evening there is a fire that is burning on the altar. This is a sign to the people from God that he wants to burn amongst his people. Right at the center of their community, he wants to constantly burn. He wants perpetual, consistent, continual fellowship with those that he loves and he burns with love for. And it's interesting that it's on this place of the altar, which reminds us of sacrifice. There was an identification that we needed to die to something in order for us to enjoy the fire of the Spirit. But it took tending. You had to tend to the fire. You had to tend to it. And you had to tend carefully to it. It needed priests. It needed, it needed firewood. It needed sacrifice in order for it to keep burning. And then the Old Testament, in order to do this, this actually involved setting aside a whole tribe of people in order to make sure that the tabernacle and the fire kept burning. And those, that tribe was called the tribe of the Levi, the Levites. And isn't it fascinating that of the 12 tribes of Israel, God wanted to pick one whole tribe whose job it was to make sure that the fire kept burning so that this ministry onto his heart could continually happen back and forth in this beautiful, deep form of loving relationship. Look at what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 9, reflecting on the role of the priests. It says this, At that time the Lord set apart the tribe of Levi to carry the ark of the covenant of the Lord. Watch this now. To stand before the Lord to minister and to pronounce blessings in his name, as they still do today. God wanted a people who would commit themselves to ensuring that his presence would be the center of the community's life and to use the language that we've been using to make sure that the community don't turn their face away from the face of God. They were chosen to help the whole tribe, sorry, the whole children, nation of Israel. One tribe chosen in order to help the whole nation keep their eyes on Jesus. The reason I'm talking about this this morning, which I'll close out with in a moment, some of you, I believe, at this particular point in our season, in the journey that we're in as a church, are being called to do that for this community, I think, right now. And even as I speak, you don't even necessarily know what that looks like. 
And to be honest, neither do we really fully because the Holy Spirit reveals the form. But there are people who are being set apart by the Lord at this particular season in our church life. I really believe this. To help us as a community, this is one of the primary graces upon your life. To help this, in this season, to help us be a people that don't turn our face away from Jesus. It's a really, really important principle in Scripture that we were called to, to minister unto the Lord. We don't really understand how much it deeply impacts the Father's heart. But this is what God call, fundamentally calls his people to. A people connected to his heart through the Spirit, ministering onto his heart and stewarding his presence into the world. In order to do that, he gives them fire and he gives them a form. Now, the children of Israel weren't brilliant at actually following this through, but there were a couple of bright spots in the story. And one of them was through David, King David. I'd love to preach in this for a number of weeks, but I'm just going to really quickly say, <laughs> David had come to know for himself how he could arrest the heart of the Father. He had been captivated by the presence of God in his own personal life. And then when he became king, he reached the point where he thought, I want to scale this all up so that I can get a whole nation orientated around the presence of God. All the children of Israel orbiting around, centered around the presence of God. Um, David, I don't know if you know the story, but the Ark of the Covenant, which represented the manifest presence of God on the earth at that particular time, it had been taken away, it had been neglected under Saul's leadership, who was the king before David. But when David became king, he decided he wanted to bring the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem, which he was going to set up as the capital of Israel. But he wanted everything to be centered around his presence. David was a mission-minded man. He was an army man. He was a military man. But yet he knew that there was something about the presence that was secret for any success that he would have. And so what I want you to see here today, he brought, he brought the present, he brought the ark back, and then he set up worship to oversee, to worship and honor the presence of God. He, i.e., he got a form developed. Look at what it says here in 1 Chronicles chapter 16. David set the ark in a tent and commanded Asaph, the song leader, along with specifically trained singers and musicians to worship the Lord before the ark night and day. Asaph, if you go into your Psalms, you'll see that Asaph wrote a number of the Psalms, particularly in the second half of the Psalms. You'll see he wrote loads of them. So this is where loads of the Psalms were probably written when David decided to set up night and day prayer, which they reckon lasted for probably 40 years. Um, some people reckon, if you go through them, actually in Chronicles it lists them. I'm, I've just lifted this off somewhere so you can go and see if it's totally right. But they reckon that David had probably 288 singers doing this. 24 different worship teams, all led by a family elder with 12 members of each who served the Lord in this manner. Isn't that amazing? So there was a form to what David was trying to do before the Lord in order to keep the fire burning. And David lived through the best, sorry, Israel lived through the best days of its life. These were the glory days. These were the revival days in Israel's history. Still are, if you talk to any Jew. And not only did it affect Israel's, sorry, not only did it affect David's generation, it affected the one afterwards because it was his son Solomon that then built the temple. 
And so worship and prayer became the centerpiece of the nation and of David's government for the, almost the rest of his reign. Now, David had lots of issues, which I don't have time to get into, but something in his heart was after the Lord. And God loves it when we minister onto his heart. And so this whole idea of ministering onto the Lord finds full expression in Jesus. And I'm going to finish with this passage and then maybe call us to respond this morning. Mark chapter 14, Jesus, a few days before he's going to be um, crucified, he's in Bethany, which was his favorite place to go. If there was anywhere on the earth when Jesus was alive that he got ministered to, it was in Bethany with his friends. Yeah, think about the humanity of Jesus just a few days before he was crucified and he just wanted to be with the people who loved him. And he goes to, he goes to this house where Bethany was where Mary and Martha and where Lazarus lived. But in Mark's gospel, it tells us that he, when he was in Bethany, he was reclining at the table of the home of Simon the leper. And a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. And she broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. And some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why waste this perfume? Could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. A year's wages, what's that? 30 grand, 50 grand, 100 grand, 150 grand. Depends what kind of job you're in. But that's how much it was. Poured out extravagantly. A sinner, it seems, a woman that the religious elite, the respectable, the morally upright, were like, who does she think this is? She is. That's a waste. And she cuts across the spirit in the room, the religious entitled spirit that's in the room, with an act of sheer, unadulterated, pure worship. Everybody else thinks it's a waste. Some people think it's a waste to spend so much money on a building. It's only a waste if it's not given, consecrated, onto the Lord, where we pour it out ourselves in loving adoration and sacrifice to him. They rebuked her harshly. I can imagine they told her to get out of the house. Who do you think you are? What do you think you're doing? It's a waste. Could have given this to the poor all took the moral high ground and Jesus said leave her alone (laughs) that's why you love Jesus isn't it leave her alone why are you bothering her just allow these words to sort of settle into your spirit as we bring this to a close she has done beautiful thing to me she has done a beautiful thing to me. She's ministered onto his heart. She's captivated Jesus. Because Jesus has found in this woman a measure of the same love that he has for her being poured out upon him. And that's what God's always wanted, a bride who will love him in the same way that he loves it. Or her. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare me for my burial. And I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached, 
throughout the world what she has done will also be told in memory for her, of her. This is a space where other spirits were at work. It was tense. It was religious. It was misogynistic. It was prideful. It looked like spirituality, but they were bullying. And, and Jesus <laughs> is caught by a woman who everybody else despised, but he came in with worship and she pours it. She, she has done a beautiful thing to me. And the God who has always wanted his fire to burn experiences what he has always wanted. People who love him in the same way as he loves them. And it's amazing that it says that she did it as uh, an act. He said this was an act. She didn't probably even know this, but this was a prophetic act. When we worship extravagantly, when it costs us, <laughs> when it costs us a year's wages, it's a cost, isn't it? But here's the thing, you will give extravagantly to what you love the most. Just, just look around the world. Look at your own life, if you're willing to. You will give extravagantly to what you love the most. And God, I think, is just doing something in all of our hearts where he's captivating and capturing our hearts and calling us. And it's not necessarily financial, although that can be one way. That, that's just what this implies in this particular passage. It's just our whole, our whole lives, our, ho- our whole hearts, everything that we are, when we pour them out, we, we minister on the God's heart. And it changes the atmosphere. The fragrance that was released into the room changes the atmosphere. And if we become a community that are devoted to Jesus and find by the Holy Spirit's help a form of ongoing night and day worship to worship Jesus, a fragrance will be released into this community that will have a missional magnetism to it that others will be drawn into the sphere of God's blessing and presence. That's, that's what I really believe God wants to do. You know, there's a beautiful thought, and some scholars think that because nard, nard was the perfume, it was so strong, and because in those days you didn't necessarily shower every day because you couldn't. A couple of days before Jesus died, lots of scholars think that when Jesus hung on the cross, that one of the last things he smelt was the nard, the perfume of a sinner, a sinful woman that everybody else despised who poured out her worship on Jesus. And that maybe the last thing that he could smell was her offering to him on his body still. This is our savior. <laughs> this, is, this is who Jesus is. And the thing is, some people will say, why the waste? By the way, perfume's expensive these days. Have you noticed? But perfume, <laughs> it's not, I'm gonna sound like I buy loads. Rachel, Rachel's sniggering here in the front, right? But <clears throat> um, the thing about it is, Perfume isn't something that you necessarily need. You don't necessarily need perfume. Like if you're going to buy a really good perfume today, it's going to cost you. And you're weighing up, well, do we really need that? Because it's going to cost a lot, but you don't like need it. Just put a bit of Lynx on or something. And <laughs> a bit of sprayer. There's something to get me through, so don't... Uh, it might be, right? But... <laughs> Perfume's a gift. It's something that you give over and above because you want to bless the person that you're giving it to. And so other people... So I'm saying this because I think some of you are being called to give time to prayer in the presence of God. And in your head, 
There's the voice of the enemy and potentially even the voice of other people going, why would you do that? That's just a waste of time. You could be, you could be getting involved in all sorts of other projects to help the church. Why this waste? But you know as I speak today that God, for some of you, I don't necessarily think, I think God wants to do something with all of us, but I think there are specific people this morning that God is bringing at a level of assignment upon your life to go as strongly as that. And you don't necessarily even need to know what that looks like yet. But you just know that the Spirit is doing something to say, I want to give time and attention to help construct a form of the Holy Spirit to help guard the flame that God has placed at the center of this body. And that's what I just feel like God wants to call us to this morning as we, as we finish. I, I have been captivated by the love of Jesus. I want to be even more captivated. Our elders have been captivated by the love of Jesus in our personal lives, as a leadership team and across Lurgan as well. What we want to do together is to scale that up so a whole city gets orientated and orbited and centered around the presence of God. Does that make sense? We're going to grow, but here's our greatest desire. Can we grow that way first? Can we grow that way above any other way we're going to grow? Can we grow in the presence of God? This is the one thing that we want to be about. And so at times if you're coming here and it's quite new and you're wondering what we're all about, at times it's going to feel intense. <laughs> at times, but hopefully there's lots of fun and joy. At times, you know, you might, you know, wonder why we do certain things the way that we do or why we give so much attention to that. But it's quite simple. It's, that's what we're after. And because we believe over and above everything else that we do, we'll live into the blessing of God if we do this one thing right. When David went to get the Ark of the Covenant back, to bring it back to Israel, I only learned this in the last week or two, and it's really spoken to me. The first time he went, it didn't go too well. The guy put his hand out to take the Ark of the Covenant, and... Uh, they weren't carrying it the right way they were supposed to carry it. They put it on a cart rather than carry it on their shoulders. And it didn't go well. This guy was struck down and died. And what I didn't realize was the first time that he went, he took the young men, which were probably the soldiers, the warriors. And they just thought, well, just get the task done. Just get this ark back. But David learned his lesson because the second time he went, he took the priests. He took the ones that had a sensitivity to understand what the presence of God really requires, which is humility, fear of the Lord, laying down your lives, getting in underneath the presence so you have to posture yourself in response to it, not simply have it as some kind of tokenistic gesture that you just walk alongside. And I say that because I think God is calling some priests. So in the New Testament, we're all now priests. So this is for all of us. I think God is fanning into flame, fresh love for him for all of us. But I also do think that the Holy Spirit is calling some individuals in this particular uh, season to that task. Because there's plenty of other things that we need to do. We need to continue to feed the poor. 
We need to continue to champion um, the, the underprivileged. We need to fight injustices. And next year, when we look at spiritual gifts, we want to see lots of people released into that. But in order for that not to become something that we all start feeling great about ourselves because we're doing good things, or in, in order for us not to get burnt out doing it, we need people who are willing to guard the flame. And I just uh, feel like it's important for me to put that out there this morning. I feel like the Lord wants to just, over the next number of weeks and months, he wants to allow that seed to settle in some of our hearts, and he wants to pour water on it and bring more of his wisdom to it. So would you all stand to your feet this morning? I'm going to ask the worship team to come up as we close off and just um, get ready just to play kind of worshipfully for us. Um, we're not going to take loads and loads of time, but what I would love us to do is maybe just where you're standing. Um, I want to. What I'm going to do here, first of all, I'm going to just pray for all of us. And I, as I pray, I'm going to believe that the Holy Spirit wants to just move through the room, and as the Holy Spirit is a wind as well as a fire, He wants to come and just fan, fan that into flame, fan love and devotion into our hearts. So I'm going to do that first. And then I'm going to call specifically just for people who feel like the Lord's really speaking to them about this. So Lord, thank you that you're here. Thank you that the sense of your presence has been here since, Lord, um, we came in this morning and Sharon welcomed us, Lord. Thank you that you've been here. We thank you for the ways that you have increased and intensified the sense of your presence, Lord, even as we've gone through this morning. And we ask you to do that even more now. Come, Holy Spirit. And God, I just ask you now in these moments, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would mark us as a people now with your presence. Mark us, oh God. Mark us as a people. We just join with that ancient prayer of Moses and say, God, how else would we, be, would we be different? What would make us distinct from anybody else if it wasn't your presence, God? Pour your love and power into our hearts now, Holy Spirit. The flame, Lord, that's burning in each of our hearts, would you fan it now? Come, Holy Spirit, blow upon your people. You receive the wind of God in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. And just as we all stand receiving, if you feel like you're one of those people that I just feel like the Holy Spirit might want to be speaking to this morning to respond, I just love you to come forward to the front this morning. Um, you might have responded over the last couple of weeks, and that's fine as well. But if you just you can come again, <laughs> just come again if you feel like this is something that God has been speaking to you about. Would you come and stand at the front? Just. Hmm. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus.
Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Mm. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We love you, Father. Mm. If you're not already at the front, I'd really love to encourage it. Some of you are on the stage, but I'd really love to encourage anyone on our worship teams to come forward as well. Would you come forward and just stand with us as people who um, are going to lead others into the presence of God? If you're part of that, come, come forward, if you don't mind. more of you Lord more of your presence God right we're going to do things a wee bit differently this morning it's um, not a spectator sport this church we want to all get involved so here's what I'd love us to do because we believe that these people are feeling a call it's not just an individual call it's a call to serve this body it's a call to serve you and all of us in this way what I'd love you to do is I'd love you to come forward. I'd love people to come forward. And I'd love us to minister to one another this morning, okay? So um, you don't have to do this if you're not entirely comfortable. But this, just for this morning, you're all the prayer ministry team, okay? Um, so would people come forward and just begin to lay hands on people and just pray that more of the Holy Spirit would come. Let's, let's begin to move, if you wouldn't mind. I know you might not, never have done this before, but now's a good time to start. Let's, let's just come and place a hand on people. Could we do that? Um, just pray just begin to ask the Lord to come move by his spirit Mm. we're just going to sing through this song once as we minister to people we're just going to sing it really softly if um, you're in the congregation just just sing this song over our church body this morning as the Lord moves by the power of the Holy Spirit. Come, Lord.